we will uh, be reading the, from the book of John, John 17. As it's my custom to give you introduction first. If you had to guess which month you think is the darkest month of the year, which one would you choose? Well, that probably depends on if you think I'm t talking figuratively or literally. According to the Psych Central Mental Health Newsletter, January is the most depressing month of the year. They've narrowed it down to a day, January 24th. By that time, your New Year's resolutions that was made on the 31st are broken. And the bills came in from all that Christmas cheer you put on your credit cards. January follows one of the darkest months of the year, literally. December 21st is the shortest day and longest night of the year. There are dark moments in time and dark moments in history, yet Jesus pierces the darkness and brings light. Actually, we were all in darkness at one time, but those of us who have embraced Christ as our Savior once sat in darkness but now have seen a great light. Elder Jonathan Rohr read the Christmas story last night and commented that there was so much darkness during the time of Jesus' birth. But the believer should never fear darkness because Jesus is the light of the world. And we should be able to sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the miracle of Christmas. God sent his son into the world to pierce the darkness, but he came as a baby. And this baby has been piercing the darkness of our situations and our hearts with his light for over 2,000 years. We know that the celebration of Christmas has pagan origins. Most Christians know that Christ was not born on December 25th. The Romans celebrated Sertanalia, I think that's how you pronounce it, the worship of their god Saturn. It started on December 17th, and it was celebrated for seven days. It was similar to the Greek Kronos. Britannica said that these two holidays had a direct impact on Christmas and the New Year. But this is another example of the baby in the manger breaking through darkness. And now Christmas is no longer connected to the god Saturn or Kronos, but Jesus has brought light and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Just as Jesus broke through the darkness of Bethlehem and the darkness of the Roman Empire, he is still breaking through the darkness. But it didn't end in the manger. Jesus has done so much more. In some church traditions, call and response is a major aspect of the service. There is a song that goes, I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. I get joy when I think about 
what he's done for me. You don't know like I know what he's done for me. You don't know like I know what he's done for me. But there's no joy for you if you don't know what he's done for me. So this morning, we will discover together what Christ has done, but not in a manger, but in his open air prayer. And there will be no secret how I will end this message. We will end it with a more biblical rendition of that song. I get joy when I think about what he's done for us. I get joy when I think about what he's done for us. We shall see that Jesus, one, gives eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. Two, he prays for all whom the Father has given him. Three, he guards all of them whom the Father has given him. And number four, Jesus fills all whom the Father has given us with joy. Now let us read John Chapter 17, verses 1 to 14. That's John, chapter 17, verses 1 to 14. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that I have Everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed in you, believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, for I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. 
But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Let us pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we, may, what we are not, make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The gospel according to John is different than the other three gospels. He states the purpose of his gospel in chapter 20, verse 31. He has a clear purpose. And he says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Although his purpose is clear, J.C. Ryle states, St. John's gospel is preeminently full of things hard to be understood. Yet the passage we read and further study this morning is unambiguous. There are so many things in scripture that are too high for our understanding. But what pertains to our salvation and sanctification is crystal clear. Let us spend more time on the things that are clear and less time on the things that are murky. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you even now that you have spent too much time chasing the secret things of God and not, and not the clear things that have been revealed to, for us and our descendants. Just know that the deep things of God do not bring joy. It brings confusion oftentimes. You cannot have joy if when you think about it, it makes no sense to you. You can have joy when you think about what you know he has done for you or done for us. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John 13, he started to address them, his disciples, about his departure in chapter 14. We can see the atmosphere during that time from the words of Jesus that John records. These are some things that he says. Let not your heart be troubled. He also says, I will never leave you as orphans. I don't think it's encouraging if you were 13 years old and your parents come to you and say, hey, well, we won't leave you as orphans. I never did say they were. What is going on? It, it shakes us up a little bit. Or, the world will hate you. Okay? So also you have sorrow now, 1622 says. The hour will come when they will, you will be scattered. This was the scene. It was a dark time for the disciples. And we have dark times in our nation. We have dark times in our family. And we have dark times in our individual lives. So what shall we do when those times come? John 17 gives us a clue. When Jesus has spoken these words, these words that made the disciples despair, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and prayed. Jesus focused, 
focused on his father in heaven. He directed his hope and his prayers to the father. Here in this church, are we directing our hope and prayers to God? In our families, are we directing our hope and prayers to the father? Are we directing our prayers to God in our personal lives? We might not be in the middle of darkness now, but January is right around the corner. In the middle of darkness. Come on, don't put your hope on the presence, your New Year's resolutions, but on our eternal hope. Let's build our hope on things eternal. What did Jesus say after he lifted up his eyes to heaven? Jesus asked the Father to glorify him since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those you have given him. Why do we need eternal life? When our representative Adam fell in the garden, we were issued a death sentence. We have all gone astray. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And we can't ease our guilt. We can't get rid of it. It remains. It's like a blood stain on a silk white blouse. No amount of detergent can remove it. Not even Fuller's soap. But God broke through our darkness and sent Jesus the heavenly Fuller's soap as we see in the book of Malachi, to take away our sins. This baby in a manger grew up and lived a perfect life so he, so we can be, so he can be the perfect sacrifice for us. He alone gives eternal life. The Father gave him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those whom he has given him. According to Martin Lord Jones, the first principle of the gospel is that it's something which comes from God. If we fail to realize that the gospel and all its professions is primarily an activity on the part of God and not on the part of man, we have entirely failed to understand the gospel. Nothing in man commends itself to God. We must receive Christ for his perfect righteousness. The second principle, according to Lord Jones, is salvation. That the salvation that is in the scriptures is supernatural. It is a miracle. Not a miracle on 34th Street, but a miracle right here in Clifton Park Community Church. If God does a work by the Holy Spirit in your heart, it's better than the ringing of the bell. I don't know what happens. Santa Claus comes. I forget about that movie. But it's more, it's more miraculous than that. The miracle of Christmas is that God saved the people through a baby in a manger. When that baby grew up, he promised to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has a work to do in the hearts of God's people. It is a mystery that cannot be given by man, but by God alone. That miracle can be received today by faith. 
Just crawl out to God in faith and he will save you by his spirit. And Christmas is an excellent time to receive Christ. Not just the baby in a manger, but the baby that grew up and ascended into heaven. He will return again. He came first as a lamb, but when he returns, he's coming back as a lion. Today is the acceptable day of salvation. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon him today and experience the true meaning of Christmas. The Holy Spirit might be dealing with you at this moment. Then right there in your seat, repent and receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior And you will be saved. If you've made that decision, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Tell us right after the service that you've done that. So we all can rejoice. And for the believer, look to the Lord. Look what the Lord has done for us. It was not a small thing to secure salvation for us. Thank God that the hope of Christian rest on such a solid foundation as a divine savior, according to J.C. Ryle. He says that Christians should know and feel that great sinners need a great savior and that no mere human redeemer would meet our wants and needs. Now you know, like I know, what he's done for us. But there's more! Verse 9 states, I'm praying for them. We have all asked people to pray for us. But when is the last time you considered the fact that the king of heaven is praying for you and me? This is the second thing that Jesus has done for us. Jesus prays for all whom the Father has given him. Dave Ortland wrote a book, Lowly, Meek and Lowly, and his quote, I'm quoting from him, it says, one of the most neglected doctrines in the church today is the heavenly intercession of Christ. When we talk about Christ's intercession, we are talking about what Jesus is doing right now. We've read the Christmas story so many times, but he's not in a manger anymore. He's not in the temple at 12 anymore, and he's not saying to his parents, wouldn't you know I'm being the house of my father? That's not what he's doing now. He's not even on the cross suffering. This is not the Roman Catholic Church. We don't believe that. He's gotten off the cross. He's not even in the grave. Go look for him. You won't find him. You might find grave clothes, but you won't find Jesus. He's not there. He's risen, but he's not just risen standing around saying hi, hi, hi to 500 people. He did that already. He's not even there. He ascended to heaven. And he's not standing like when they crucified, well, not crucified, but when they stoned Stephen, he's not even standing. He's seated at the right hand. Of the Father. Doing what? Twiddling his thumbs? No. 
playing TikTok or you doing TikTok videos. No, he's praying constantly for who? For me? Yes. For you? Yes. For us. He's praying for us. Now you know like I know what he's done for us. Yes, Christmas is about the baby in the manger. But that baby grew up and ascended. And is now in heaven forever making intercession. Forever making intercession for the saints. Jesus is praying for me and you. He is praying for us. Just a few verses above verse 6, if you go up. Jesus said that those disciples kept the word. Now we read that. I read it. I tried to read it nice and slow. They've kept the word. And they kept your word. I believe that's verse 6. Even in the ESV it says, they kept your word. Did you read it as fast as I did? Or did you slow down and say, wait a minute, what? Peter? What? John? What, Nathaniel? They, they kept the word? I don't, well, I don't understand that. Wait a minute. These are the same men that deserted him. Even one denied him. But yet Jesus' gracious words and demeanor towards those weak men say more about the Savior than they do about these men. Jesus saw more in these men than they saw in themselves and more than we see. Ryle states, whenever the gracious Savior of sinners sees true faith in himself, however feeble, he looks with compassion on many infirmities and passes by many defects. Have we considered this lately? This is what he did when, he, when, when we sat in darkness. He sent the baby Jesus to break through that darkness and grow up to finish the work of redemption. Now he is graciously dealing with us. Jesus is daily watching us and thinking about us and prove, providing for us with his unfailing care. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. Jesus is vigilant. No matter how diligent we think we are as parents, we can sometimes fall in the category of unattentiveness. Now, I know that there was some, I was thinking this when I was putting this together. I know there's some new parents here, all right? And uh, hopefully they're looking at the video. And they're saying right now, no, Brian, you was inattentive. I've got a baby. I love my baby. I'm never inattentive. Well, grandparents just snicker and go, <laughs> you just wait a minute. You just see. But one time we took our eye off one of our children, don't ask me who and don't ask them who. And we were in a crowded, unfamiliar public park. We started looking for the child and calling his name. And we got louder and louder and louder. At the same time, another family was calling their child's name and the name of that child was the same as our child. 
And so we both walking around calling this name, calling this name, and you don't know. Well, you do if you do know if something dear to you went missing. It was only a short time, but we were very nervous and we started calling louder. And all the thoughts that run through your mind and the guilt that accompanies losing track of your child in a public place, that was horrible. And if the child was old enough, he would be, he would have a terrible feeling of being lost, knowing that those who supposed to watch over him no longer had their eyes on him. But God will never take his, his eyes off his own children. He never sleeps or slumbers. He keeps his people. And he knows we are just dust and he graciously deals with us. Now, some of what you know what I know, what he's done for us. Right? I can't keep that to myself. That's in the text. David, uh, David Ortland says again, it is, it is one thing to believe that God has put away and forgiven all of our failures that occurred before the new birth. That is a wonder of mercy, unspeakably rich. But these were sins committed while we were still in darkness. It is another thing to believe God continues just as freely to put away all our present failures that occur after the new birth. How many times have you thought about that? Well, how many times have you kicked yourself saying, man, why did I do that? I used to do that when I was unsaved. Why am I still doing it? If I was God, I would kick me out. Well, good thing I'm not God, and good thing you're not God, because you would kick me out too. God doesn't operate that way with us. He is gracious. Jesus is not praying for the world. Did you hear me when I read it? I know you're upset by that. Some of you don't like that. But I'm sorry. That's in the scriptures. He says he's praying for his own. He's not praying for the world. And Jesus is not praying that we go home. Get raptured and leave this place. Sorry, then we have to get rid of all the movies and the books, but he's not praying that. No, at least in this section of scripture, he is praying that the Father does not take them out of the world, but protects them from the evil one. His presence is still among us. The evil one's presence is still among us. But one world, one word has failed him. He has set us, he has set us up. He has set us apart from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over us in such a way that not even a hair can fall from our head without the will of our Father in heaven. This is what the Lord has done for us. Now you know, like I know, what the Lord has done for us. Verse 12 is another work that Jesus has done for his people. Man, if you're not getting excited yet, maybe you are asleep. We're on the third one, and I'm ready to go home. Not because I'm bored, but because I'm so excited. 
He said he guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. If we have been described as sheep, then he's our great shepherd and bishop of our souls. He's guarded us like a century guards, but centuries fall asleep. Centuries get distracted. Centuries get on Instagram and they don't pay attention. But God is not. He knows about Instagram, but he's not on Instagram. His eyes are on us. And he guards us. Well, we come to the last benefit that the work of Christ has secured for us. And that is Jesus fills all whom the Father has given him with his joy. What is this joy? The book of Hebrews tells us something about this joy. The joy that Jesus possesses was strong enough to endure the cross. Jesus suffered. What do we understand by the word suffered? Question 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism defines suffered as that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in his body and soul the anger of God against the sin of the whole human race. If we understand the pain and shame of the crucifixion, then we might get a glimpse of how powerful that joy is that Jesus gives to his people. We can be encouraged. We don't have to fret. Where do we find, where do we find help the month after Christmas? We lift up our eyes to heaven and we think about what Jesus did for us. The Bible says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is not you talking. This is not me talking. This is not your mom or your grandmother. This is Jesus talking. This is the one who was raised from the dead and has the keys of the kingdom. This is the one who's the first and the last. This is the one who closes doors and, and opens doors and knocks on doors. This is Jesus. We have been given eternal life. We have been given a savior that prays and watches over us. A diligent and watchful shepherd who guards us and protects us from the evil one. And lastly, a joy that the world can't give or take away. We will be filled with the joy of Jesus. The joy that overcame the suffering of the cross. Now you know like I know what he's done for us. Now you know like I know what he's done for us. And because we belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures us of eternal life and makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's see if you're awake. I say, you know like I know, and you say, 
what he's done for us. Let's try it. You know like I know what he's done for us. You know like I know what he's done for us. We get joy when we think about what he's done for us. We get joy when we think about what he's done for us. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. After the gifts is over, after you do all the cleanup and throw the garbage out tomorrow, garbage day, some of us get depressed. But we don't have to because we know what he's done for us. Amen? Now, now let's pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, no human mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, you are both its messenger and its message. Lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying your life to insult, injury, and death, that we might be redeemed, ransomed, and freed. Blessed be you, O Father, for contriving this way. Eternal thanks to you, O Holy Spirit, for applying this way to my or to our hearts. Glorious Trinity, impress the gospel on our soul until its virtue diffuses every faculty. I, I get joy. We get joy when we think about what he's done for us. Christmas is the beginning of what he has done for us. Let us remember what he's done for us. In this year coming up, we may have some bad days. We may have some hills to climb. Maybe some weary days and some sleepless nights. Sometimes the clouds will hang low. We may not see the roads, but God knows what's best for us. Though sometimes our weary eyes can't see, God has been good to us. He has sent his son, Jesus, to pierce the darkness of our sinful condition and given us peace with him and the forgiveness of our sins. And now we belong to Christ. Let it be heard, acknowledged, professed, and felt. Teach us to secure this mighty blessing. Help us, help us, give us every darling, help us to get rid of every darling lust, to submit our heart and life to its command, to, to have it in our will, controlling our affections, molding our understanding to inherit strictly to the rules of true religion, not departing from them in any sense, nor for any advantage in order to escape evil, inconvenience, or danger. Take us to the cross to seek the glory for his family. Strip us of every pleasing pretense of righteousness for our own doing. O oh, gracious Redeemer, we have neglected you for so long, often crucified you, crucified you afresh, because of our decisions, put you to open shame. We thank you for the patience that you have borne so long with us and the grace that now makes us willing to be yours. Oh, unite us to yourselves with inseparable bones. There's nothing may ever draw us back from you. Oh, Lord, our Savior, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.